Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello, basement dwellers. Patrick O'Dowd here with David Ongar, the lawyer, welcoming you into a special little segment from this past week. Um, week's bandwagon nerds number 100 hashtag bwn 100 where we interviewed omar spahi we wanted to take a little bit of time and put that interview back out for everyone to have a chance to listen to without uh necessarily needing to listen to all two hours or all three hours of the program because dave and i and i know you'll back this up we were very proud of that interview and felt like it went really really well and was a real highlight for the show yeah Absolutely. It was a great interview. One of the best ones, if not the best one that we've ever done. And we do recognize that it was the main event. So it came on at the end of BWN 100. And yeah, I mean, I imagine some people may not have wanted to stick around for two hours and 15 minutes to get to it. But I think that releasing it separately, like you're uh, you're alluding to, makes a lot of sense, especially for Omar's fans who are like, I don't care about what if or Doom Patrol. I just want to hear what Omar has to say. Absolutely. And Omar had a lot to say. You, we're going to cut. Co- we cover everything from the genesis of his career to projects he's working on now. Yes, I even asked him about, you know, Rise of Skywalker and The Last Jedi, much to my uh, immediate regret. But it was it was a very broad reaching interview. And this guy, you know, just kind of to talk about him a little bit more such a young guy to, to already have done so much, uh, whether it's his podcasting, uh, he's to, to be an executive producer to, you know, being a writer and everything in between. He really, uh, was gracious with his time and it didn't feel like there was anything that was really off limits. And he, he was, he was so great. 
He was, and he even agreed with you on some of the stuff from Rise of Skywalker, so it wasn't a total loss. He uh, agreed Palpatine coming out of nowhere didn't make sense, but, you know, at the same time, he did note parts of Last Jedi that most of us, including you, had some issues with. So it was it was a very fair, even-minded interview. But yeah, he's done so much at such an early age, and, you know, just listening to him talk about um, you know, just so many things about writing comics, about animation, about animation's place, growing place in the industry, about the MCU, what it means to him, about DC and where, you know, some stuff that he might not be happy with about that. There's so much in this interview that was just excellent. I think anybody who is, you know, interested in pop culture, nerd culture is going to find some aspect of this interview that they will enjoy greatly. Absolutely. And without further ado, we are going to hand that over to the man himself, the interview that Dave and I did with Omar Spahi for Bandwagon Nerds episode 100. I hope everyone enjoys it and we will catch you next Monday for Bandwagon Nerds 101. Thank you everyone for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot, get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. All right, folks, welcome back from the break. It is time for the main event of episode number 100 of the Bandwagon Nerds podcast. We have on episode 100 a very, very, very special guest. We are thrilled to have him here for the 100th episode of the show. Omar Spahi, who is a content creator, comics writer, podcaster, upstanding citizen. You name it. He's done it all, folks. Omar, how are you doing here today? 
I'm super excited. Uh, congratulations to you guys for making it to 100 episodes. That's insane. You guys, I'm I'm honored to be here, and I'm excited for you guys. Uh, that's quite the journey. Yeah, I think Patrick would have lost some money on, on this 100-episode bet. <laughs> I, I did not think we were going to make it. I, w- I was not sure. That the, and if you ever go back and listen to our archives, um, it's it's touch and go. Early, <laughs> early, it was really touch and go, but I think we did a great job finding – just kind of finding our niche and what we wanted to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited, Omar, as I was just looking through uh, your career so far uh, and and following along with your podcast and seeing just who you've had the opportunity to interview. I couldn't be happier to have you on this show. That is, I'm thrilled. Thanks. It's uh, the feelings mutual, excited to be here and excited to uh, talk comics, movies, everything in between. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, we have to start everything. I mean, every good story has an origin story. So I think we should just start off there with you, Omar. How did you get into comics and and, and just this industry that, that you have, you know, prospered in comics and, and all the content you've created? But you obviously started with a love of comics somewhere. So how did that take hold? So, you know, it goes back to the going back to the way beginning. I would my mom would uh, would go to Barnes and Nobles and pick up books. I don't even think it was Barnes and Nobles. I forget what the name of the store was. It was uh, Borders. Borders was uh, uh, just aging me a little bit. Borders, uh, and I wanted to get a comic book there one time, and my mom said no. And so the store clerk was like, the kid's reading. You should buy it for him. And she goes, okay. And as a kid, I picked up one issue of The Flash, and I reread that cover to cover probably 20 times. And as a kid, you have to wait 30 days for the next comic to come out. So I went back to Borders, and 30 days as a kid, it feels like forever. So you get there and finally get the next issue, and it's, you know, 167, 168. And, you know, I wait another month, get the third issue. And and I, all of a sudden, during this process, I start to really get into it, pick up other series, pick up, you know, Green Lantern, pick up Batman. And from there, I start learning about comic book stores. And that's where I got... Uh, Introduced to Heidi Hill Comics in Santa Monica. Feeling, so. a, feeling a DC vibe here, Patrick. I, I know that's going <laughs> to thrill you. It was so funny because I was listening to the the Frank Gogol episode that you just put out on your podcast, Omar, uh, and he was talking about Marvel and Spider Man, uh, and it's kind of like DC and Marvel and how they have like license to just sort of like know that the content they put out are, is what people are going to purchase. I was a Spider-Man kid and I, uh, I am, was one of those consumers for a really long time that if it had Spider-Man on the cover in any way, shape or form and name, I was going to pick it up. And I tell this story all the time, Dave, do you remember what the very first comic that my grandmother bought me at a grocery store back in 1984 Yes, was. she wisely decided to get you Craven's Last Hunt as your very first <laughs> introduction That's to the industry. Yeah. The the final the final issue where Craven finishes himself off, no less, and, and that was that was the first comic book I, I remember per, like that was purchased for me, and it's, it's, it was crazy because I parents and I think you could speak to this. They were very much like this is kid stuff, and that that book by itself opened my my eyes up to a world of not only is this something that can be exciting and fun but that it can also tell heavy stories too and that that was that was the beginning so but yeah i was i was i'm a marvel guy all the way um 
I, I catch a lot of grief. I too. I mean, if anything, the movies and everything have made me love Marvel so much more. And I, growing up, I still read Craven's Last Thought. I still read the, the you know, <laughs> right. works for Stanley. You know, I had the honor of, of having lunch with Stanley one on one. So that was that was really cool. I'm so I'm so jealous of that. I'm jealous. That's that's. <laughs> That's outstanding. I, um, I was 20, 22, 23 years old, and we had the same attorney. So he set up the lunch. He was there with us. So it wasn't one on one. We had him, Gil, my attorney, and me. And Stan's going on and on about all the projects he has post Marvel and everything. You know, Stan Lee's Magnificent Seven and this and that. And I have all my comic books I'm working on. And he goes, Hey, what are we working on together? And I was a 22 year old kid, and I was like, I don't know. I'll think about it. Let's figure it out. And nothing came of it. Um, but it was like, you know, something that I get to live with and cherish forever. You know, for me, he's a big reason I do what I do is because of what Stan did and, and, uh, the journey he's taken. And, you know, even we had lunch, probably he was 91, 92. And in his, in his later years, we're out at the restaurant and I remember I go to, uh, go to order and I'm, you know, a young kid, just barely 21. I was like, I'm having lunch with nine girls. I'll have a Coke. Scribe, uh, Stanley goes, I'll have a screwdriver. He'll have a screwdriver. He'll have a screwdriver. <laughs> and at 90, 91, Stan still have this, has this zest for life that just reminded me to always be yourself and, and you know, don't apologize. Even at 91, he, he showed his personality just with a drink order. So you, you mentioned writing. How what made you what what prompted you to take that plunge and take that that risk to really put yourself out there and get started as a writer because you you have a profile on image comics like uh, look, <laughs> look you up there you are i i can see you know getting it together is right here in front of me and like like your whole your whole podcast a lot of what i read is you know talking to other artists about the process of building a comic right you know writing what what was your process how did you what what prompted you to take the plunge and how did how did you how did that work for you? You know, I was I didn't even know people made comic books. I was so naive. I just loved comic books and I was like, they just appear magically. Uh, <laughs> and so it was I was at the counter in, in uh, Marina del Rey and they had uh, a friend of mine who was there who was a waiter there. He started talking to me about this creator and that creator and this creator. And I was like, wait, you, you care about the creators? Wait, people make these? And from then on, I was like, oh, I can make something too. And from that point on, it was just this fire that started like in my soul. And I just that home went home that night and wrote a full 22 page script. I outlined it and I just, you know, carved it out. And, you know, I, I've been doing it ever since. That's great. I mean, that that's an amazing story as to how it all comes together. Uh, you've got a lot of things going on all the time it seems looking at your profile and looking at twitter and your social media but what do you have going on currently like what's what's in the hopper for omar spahi uh what what can we expect down the pike not to give away every anything super secretive but just kind of curious what we can expect from you in the upcoming weeks months yeah so i mean uh, jumping on a plane to france uh, after tomorrow um and all of a sudden we're going to be going uh, to to MIPCOM, which is one of the biggest uh, animation and film festivals in the world, uh, to sell animated content. So we, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be uh, on Code Eight, which was the number one movie on Netflix, and 
we're going to MIPCOM in order to start to understand how, you know, I think we all have dreams of making shows and making movies, but this is really the marketplace where things come together is MIPCOM and kids screen in the kids space. Those are the, the main two and Annecy's up there as well. Um, but there's just very few places you can go to get something made. I've always for the past, like, you know, I don't want to say 20 years, but it's pretty close to 20 years. It's been 13, 14 years that I've been at New York Comic Con. And this is the first year that I'm not going to New York Comic Con. I'm going to MIPCOM instead because it's my career path and my trajectory. I want to change from being just the comic book guy to really focus on animation. And that's that's the journey. And uh, I'm really excited because it's been quite a bit so far. Now, now, you mentioned Code 8, which you were the executive producer. Uh, at least that's the credit I see next to your name, which sounds like the guy who does everything. Uh, <laughs> and, and had the had the privilege to work with not one, but two MLs. Both Robbie and Steven are, are, are stars in that. Um, but based on what you said there, do, are you saying that there's going to be something coming from Code 8 that you're going to be turning into or that you're looking to turn into a series? Or am I reading too much into that? So Code 8, the sequel has already been announced. They're filming it uh Right now, um, just in about a month or so, they're going to get started on that. Um, they're they're heavy in, in prep right now. And then for um, my goal is to really, you know, I just had a daughter recently uh, during the pandemic. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, my goal is to make kids content. I love kids content all the way from pre-K all the way to 6 to 11. That's really where I think my calling is. And and uh, so I'm transitioning from just because I love the creative process. I love making comic books. It's like if I could just do that every day, I would do that. And I love the process of making animation and making shows and talking about little details and, and figuring stuff out where other people, it drives them crazy. For me, it ignites this fire. And and I, I love to talk about what hair it is and why the hair should be pink instead of red or, or whatever the little details are. You know, to me, that that gets me excited and really gives me a lot of passion about what I do. You talk about animation, so I wanted to ask you, uh, animation seems to be really kind of carving out a much larger footprint lately than it has been in the past. You look at series like What If, um, DC's animation has been phenomenal for over a decade now, um, and you're heavily involved with that. How do you see the industry evolving as far as animation is concerned and where it can it can create maybe even a larger audience or reach a larger audience? I mean, I, I'm I'm astounded with how much animation I watch as an adult, and I know so many people around me who watch animation, and there's just such great content, and people want good stories regardless of if it's animated or not. Kids, more on the other hand, only want animated content for the most part. Like they, there's a lot of like you know kids shows that at a certain age they go, listen, if it's not a cartoon, I'm not watching it. Um, but for me, like it's it's been. It's been a journey to figure out how to create animation because it can be rather expensive. It can be rather uh, laborsome. You have so many details, so many moving parts. Um, and, you know, it's just about assembling that team and figuring out, hey, who's who's writing this one? Who's Am I writing this one? Is someone else writing this one? What's the greater concept? Okay, who's who's the production team? Who's, where are we recording the audio? Um, you know, let's go through the looks. Who are our partners? Making sure, because most, most stuff doesn't come out of a vacuum. It's not one person's vision going, hey, listen, we're going to do this show. Let's go. It's usually a lot of different countries coming in and doing co-productions and, and you know, going, hey, listen, we're, we have to make sure that we hit this note and that note, because in our culture, that's really important. Um, so it's about being collaborative, being open and making sure to, you know, pick your battles very carefully and know which ones you're willing to uh, to put your foot down and other ones you have to, you know, say, hey, listen, you you guys are right. Let's do it your way. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I sit there. You're talking. You were talking about content for your daughter, and I'm thinking about my son. He's nine years old. Uh, and by the way, big Flash fan. Uh, and, and so I don't know where I don't know where it went wrong there, but uh, <laughs> he went right. Yeah. That's good. So Flash is, is one of my all-time favorites. He he yeah, and I think that that's just a character that it, it does speak to people on a lot of levels. Um, one of our other hosts on the show, um, uh, PC Tunney, he he talks about how it's like this beautiful embodiment of love and that he's he's just terrific um but you you talked about sort of building a series and you know all these different angles what you've worked on big 10 before as a writer or ben 10 not big 10 ben 10 before uh, previously as a writer you worked on sonic prime um when when trying to like pull that content how 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 does that creative process work to find like that that message is going to resonate with with children um like where where does that well come from you know i, I think number one it's you know for both those shows we were, there were writer's rooms and we talked about it and and that it's through this collaborative process we've worked with the amazing people at man of action and, and they're amazing at what they do and so from there it's that collaborative process of going hey how about this how about that and usually you know man of action has done this over like a million times at this point. I, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but probably not by much. <laughs> and so they go, great, this is what this episode is. Let's go and do it. And they kind of go and they say, hey, this is what it is. You do, uh, you know, there's a process to writing. So usually it's can be anywhere from idea to outline or beat sheet um, to, you know, after an outline, you do first draft, uh, second draft, polish and, and revisions along the way. So it's, it's a it's a big process to go step by step for for everything and you know you just have to go okay this is i'm playing with someone else's toys so to speak if it's ben 10 or or, or whatnot and you have to be really respectful and say hey listen there's lines that you might have really fun ideas but they can't cross and the same is true with marvel and dc you know having you know cena goes firsthand he's like hey marvel won't let me do what i want to do with this that, and the other but you have that's kind of the creative process you have to be willing to just say, hey, cool, what can we do? What can't we do? And uh, and run with that. You uh, mentioned earlier how uh, the MCU kind of opened your eye. Well, I mean, I'm sure you already were a Marvel fan, but it made you a bigger Marvel fan. Um, and, and DC's kind of doing their own thing. But I kind of want to ask you a general question about the comics industry as a whole, because you're obviously heavily involved with that. Um, how, how have you seen the industry evolve since the MCU basically caught fire because I know before the MCU came out, the comics industry was in a bit of trouble. Um, it has seemed to have a resurgence over the years that kind of is paralleling what's going on in, with the movies. Um, how do you see the industry as far as the stability of the industry right now? And where do you th see things going in the next few years? Honestly, I feel like it's a, it's a very difficult question for me because I'm, I'm so enamored with comics and, and, you know, I feel like my, my opinion is heavily biased because since you go back to you can go back to you know the 70s and look at the superman movie you can go back um and and really start that as really the the beginning you can see uh when stan and avi sold the rights to to spider-man and the x-men to create the animated shows all of that has played into the uh the building of these franchises building these characters in meaningful ways and now you're seeing it even more with shows like sweet tooth why the last man uh watchmen You've seen so many of these shows 
come from comic books. And I think that more and more of our content is coming from comic books. Um, so I do believe that comic books are here to stay. I know the numbers have been through the pandemic. They've gone up, up and through the roof for so many creators and so many publishers. I'm, I'm very close with a lot of publishers. And I think that it's the place to go for premium content before it gets turned into a TV or movie. You know, people always go, I, want, I have a screenplay. I'm going to do a comic book. But it's you have to kind of do a comic book because you want to do a comic book and then see if it has the trajectory to make it. You talked about how well the industry is doing, uh, particularly with the pandemic. How have you seen the ad? Because I was a, and I don't know about, I know Dave is a million years older than me. Um, you talked about uh, picking up comic books, um, you know, at the, at the brick and mortar stores. I, I've always loved like the, pla- like getting my comics, the plastic bags. How has digital media impacted the industry in in your view just in sort in terms of like you know we've got comiXology now uh, amazon i think does works through comiXology as well and, and just there's all these other like sort of medias do you see the end of print comics coming you know i i just asked this question on twitter the other day and i said how do you read comics digitally or in print and i probably had three four hundred responses and from that i, I want to say it's 50 50. Half the people are print only, no way, digital all the way, forget about print. Um, so print is very much alive and well. There's still a lot of demand for print, but digital is still a factor too. And I think that there's people out there who want to read digitally and they're going to find a way to read it digitally, whether it's Comixology or on whatever app they have or, or, or whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, there's people who, you know, back Kickstarters and only want the digital option because there's a lot of people who, Listen, if you're a comic book collector, you know this. Space is limited in houses. You're not you can have a, a whole room dedicated to comics and you feel like that whole room comic boxes aren't pretty to look at. They're like you the stuff, the artwork in the comics is is gorgeous. But like when you get to the other stuff, it can become a burden. So it's it's uh, I think print is definitely here to stay and I think the value of comics are here to stay, but I think digital is also very much alive and well as well. To kind of tag on to what you and Patrick are talking about with this, the industry has just exploded during the pandemic. And obviously people have more downtime and were locked down and had to read a lot more. But you also talked about all these streaming shows that have been comic centric, basically, and and they've been doing it remarkably well. You look at shows like The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Lock and Key, you know, The Witcher, which is kind of more video game based. But, you know... People have been interested in this stuff for decades. Why do you think it has caught fire over like the last five, six, ten years where, you know, like this show, where a show like this, which is based on nerd culture, can prosper? Uh, why do you think that it has become in the forefront that everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak, and get this content out there that is based on some of these remarkable stories? You know, I think people want to see I think people want to invest in success. You, you always want to take something that you know and you love, and if you're going to translate it or champion that project, you want to know and love the source material. And I think, you know, when you add that visual element to comics, I think it makes it so much stronger for people. People really connect with the emotions of the character because you can read their expressions. So there's that face language. There's that language you only get by being on a, a face-to-face um, where you can see what that process is. And I think that's really powerful to create it. I think there's the future. I think 
in anything to create an IP is incredibly challenging. But once you have that IP to service that IP and continue to have it grow is also incredibly challenging. You know, it's not Steamboat Willie came out for for Disney and that was their first comic book and or that first their first animation and they serviced the mouse for generations so they can continuously use him and, and reinvent him and make him better. Um, and that's what, what the journey is. So I'm just going to, I'm going to shift gears almost entirely here and, and ask a, a question. We've got, we know that there's a lot of projects and things that are coming up out there, you know, whether it be streaming series that are, that are debuting. Um, what is one upcoming project that somebody else is producing that you're excited to see on a screen yeah i'm glad you said that someone else is producing because that that kind of narrows it down for me a little right bit. I mean, yeah there's so much that um is coming out right now that i'm just like beyond excited for you know i i have friends who are working on uh doom patrol what if and they've done doom patrol has been phenomenal what if has been phenomenal you know and i think I'm excited to see more of that, to see the expanded, uh, the extended expanded version of those, and and see how they continue to grow. Like there is so much that I'm a fan of right now, and I feel really in a weird way super blessed because I don't feel like I'm craving content at all. Like I feel like I have old content if I want to go back and watch old Star Trek that I have never seen. Deep Space Nine, uh, you know, I just finished the Next Generation, so I always have old content to go back to, but I still have always new content with what if uh, walking dead you name it and you still have so much great stuff to follow up on and follow into i love that you mentioned doom patrol and what if both shows that we review on on this podcast every week uh, as part of our, uh, as part of our weekly rundown so perfect perfect timing and and perfect selections yeah i'm glad you mentioned doom patrol because uh you know you've worked at image so i want to ask you about an image property and see if you think that this one will ever be brought to streaming or something like that. I'm a huge fan of Saga, which makes Doom Patrol look relatively tame as far as insanity goes. Do you ever see them a chance that they might bring that to a, a streaming platform? 1,000%. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's yes. it's such a big hit in the comic book space that there's no way that it doesn't go. And I don't know if... Brian and Fiona own the rights right now, if they've optioned them or what the situation is. But look at Why the Last Man. Why the Last Man came out, you know, I want to say in the early 2000s. Is that right? And yes. it's taken 20 years for the show to come out on FX. We've had it. We've heard casting rumors for a long time. Same with 100 Bullets. We've heard so much that's come out with it. And But Why the Last Man is actually here. It's taken 20 years and it's freaking awesome. And uh, it's one of my favorite comic book series of all times. And to see it kind of come out is is really, it's surreal for me because it's so cool. I just want to see he, Lion Cat for real. I, I mean, I, think <laughs> I can see the Lion Cat plushies and stuff selling better than Grogu. I mean, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And it's a huge franchise with uh, Brian K. Vaughn is a genius. So it's, yes. uh, he's, he's, He's going to do absolutely phenomenal with it. And who knows when that comes out? You know, Why the Last Man is also Brian K. Vaughn. So hopefully this this shows a success and, and Saga will come out right after. You know, it's it's only a matter of time when people sense really successful comic books because of what The Walking Dead has done. Um, people are willing to take that risk on it, whether it's Netflix, uh, Hulu, or you name it. They're, they're willing to throw the dice, you know, roll the dice at it because they know they have an innate fan base. You know, you look at what Invincible has done. Invincible was 
phenomenal for being a show that's you know based on a comic book that was out 20 years ago same thing it's it takes that long for stuff to come out it's just kind of the nature of what we do and the true fans are here for it and they go oh my god this is amazing and the people who are who are new to it uh they learn it from from that experience for the first time and that's also so awesome and and hopefully it continues to grow and blossom into into much cooler things you know what uh property i want to see get a second chance tank girl tank girl had a movie had a movie uh with laurie petty that is a cult classic but i think could find a very nice home on a on a streaming service somewhere and that's that's like my personal like God, I wish that would come back. I had a I had a professor who was obsessed with that comic. Made us all read it for a for a heroism class, um, and how it just challenged challenged all these different sort of ideas of what a hero was. And yes, make that a series. Somebody, some streamers, <laughs> please pick this up. I think I think uh, everything that's old will become new again. And even it's about who champions the rights and who goes after them. You know, going to licensing conventions. I went to a licensing show with me and my partner this year you realize that there's some amazing classics where the rights are available and you go, how did that get another TV show? Or how did you see that again? It's about people going after the rights. Uh, David Walker came on my show and talked about how he broke into comics. And he said, hey, I wanted to do a Shaft comic book. So I went out of my way to go find out who owns the rights to Shaft. And he went and he went to the first people. They said, no, we don't want to talk to them. We talked to them. And finally, he get, got in front of the people who have the rights to Shaft. And that's how he was able to get his first break into comic story. And since then, it's just been one thing after another for him uh, and doing Bitterroot, which is awesome. But that's the, 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 pro, the process there is you have to go and knock on doors and see what's available and also see if you can get things like Tank Girl, um, because that's how stuff gets made. That's like the cool stuff. Yeah, speaking of uh, your show, the 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 podcast. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? What, where, how did you get the idea for the podcast and and, and the general gist of it uh, as to what you're doing? Where you're talking to many different creators about the process, like you mentioned earlier, the process of creating comics. Um, so let let people listening know about the show, where they can find it, and, and just the general idea of it. Yeah, uh, Dreamer Comics is something I came up with because I was curious to share the journey for other comic book creators. I really wanted to champion my friends, uh, my other industry professionals, and really uh, get them to tell their stories and what makes their comic book come out. What you know, I wanted the no BS answers for, hey, what's gonna make a comic book successful? What's your process like when it comes to creative? And uh, I, you know, there's so many people out there who I would go to New York Comic Con, I'd go to San Diego Comic Con, who would come and hand me their script or come and hand me the thing, hey, this is a comic book I have. How do I make it? How do I do it? And it became inundated that I went, hey, there's there's actually a massive demand for this. People love comics and people also don't know the process and they want to learn about it. And that's where the show kind of came from. And, and now we're looking, we're staring on the barrel of 200 episodes. So it's it's really mind blowing. It's really, really humbling to see the journey the show has taken and uh, and, you know, to be able to interview everyone we've interviewed. Dave, Dave, do you mind if I ask Omar the the most important question that we ask everybody who comes on to Bandwagon Nerds? Only if he's going to allow it. You bet. Well, for, first, well, first of all, Omar, I have to know, like, um, do you care for Star Wars? Are you a Star Wars fan? Yeah, you know, I, I am a Star Wars fan. Don't don't get me wrong. I definitely have my 
qualms with some of them, but uh, I I am a huge Star Wars fan. It is good that you mentioned qualms, sir. So, better film, The Rise of Skywalker or The Last Jedi? Um, you know, it's, it's hard because uh, The Rise of Skywalker, to me, had a lot of... It felt more like Star Wars. So if you're going purely from a feeling point, it felt like, you know, bringing in the holocrons on. I was a massive fan of the books growing up. Holocrons were only ever in books. You'd never seen it before on screen. And for me, that was a big yes moment. The The weird love story between uh, Rey and Kylo didn't feel right to me. Uh, the ending with Palpatine coming out of left field didn't feel right to me. Um, but I do think totally feeling wise it felt better to me than the last jedi the last jedi was really uh funny and charming but it took away from the star wars feeling that i had before um so from that like i think you know ryan johnson's an incredibly talented director but i think you know i i i feel like i wasted 45 minutes of that movie following finn accomplished nothing right um, you know, and I feel like that to me was a big letdown. And I was like, this isn't a Star Wars movie. Like, where's there was there was no growth. No, there was it didn't. It felt like there was a lot missing from from both of them, honestly. So if I had to choose one, I'd probably go Rise of Skywalker. Oh, <laughs> my man. Oh, it's, no. it's been a running no. debate for a year, Omar, uh, over a year <laughs> now as, as to as this it, thing. But, you know, you mentioned Star Wars. Uh, let me because we talk streaming shows and things like that. The Mandalorian. What are your thoughts on that series, uh, especially the way season two ended with the whole Luke Skywalker's back, at least for a little while moment of, of the year sort of thing? It, it was amazing. I mean, being a fan of these franchises and these characters for so long, you, you're like you want to you you crave that you crave that connection to the other franchises you know and like listen if you are going to say in 20 years from now that the mandalorian is going to appear in another franchise and have the same effect i believe you some kids are going to grow up with baby yoda and the mandalorian and they're going to pop on screen and go oh my god i can't believe they used him and luke skywalker was like our guy he was our hero he's the hero's archetype he's joseph campbell's the hero's journey embodied um so i i I think it's so awesome to see that him come back. And I think that whole show is John Favreau is a genius. And I think that whole thing is, is executed immaculately. I, I think this is kind of the last question for me uh, as, as I, as I think about this, but you, we talk a lot about fans and fandom. Uh, how do you see that now influencing a lot of these properties and, and sort of the creative directions for things like, and I think about like, I, I think about this a lot with the Abrams star Wars trilogy. And when he, like one of the first advertisements that he did when we were getting ready for the force awakens was very much this, like, I'm, I'm a fan just like you he, and, and very much showing this, like respect and reverence for the original trilogy that a lot of folks didn't feel within the, those prequels. So I, I kind of go back and forth on that. I, I see a lot of attention and service to fans that I, I think is a little bit different than what I saw in like the eighties when, when these pieces, when, when a lot of these works were first being created. Sorry. Can you repeat that one more time? I So it's really, really about how has, how has fandom and like these followings, like, and you see it with like, you know, with Star Wars or with Harry Potter or uh, heck, even Twilight, Marvel, DC, 
how do you see their their reactions playing into some of these these creative processes and these films that are being made now and, and how I, I see them being stakeholders in these properties as much as any writer or director. Um, and I was just kind of wanting to get your take on, on how fans have, have kind of evolved into being as much a part of, of filmmaking as, as the filmmakers. It's really tough because I think nobody sets out to make something bad. No one ever goes out and goes, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to tear this up. I'm going to destroy this franchise. It, no one ever does that. They, <laughs> they want to champion something they want to do in the right way. And it, you know, there's so many different people involved through any production. So you have to have that one person who's going to say, this is whose story it is. You know, here's the protagonist, here's the journey for it. And the fans really are, they're the ones who decide if it's, worth talking about and worth being about you know if you love something you're going to champion it to your friends you know we saw we see it's happening right now with squid game we've seen it happen with game of thrones we've seen it happen with the walking dead and the proof is in the fandom if the fandom comes together that's it you have a a franchise you have a hit um and people respond to it and they love it and if you you're not able to connect with people the word of mouth doesn't happen it doesn't it doesn't come together it doesn't make something uh it doesn't make an impact culturally and if someone may really like it and someone may really love it but you'll also have those people who don't like it and don't love it and if you don't have that people coming together the franchise is not going to be as strong as something else so it's important always to service the fans and try to get something that's going to connect with people as much as possible well, I know we could talk to you for another hour, but I know you got better things to do or more important. I'll say more important things to do. So I want to close off asking you this because we've discussed this on the show many, many times. And you mentioned the MCU earlier and we've talked about DC. I just want to get your overall thoughts. How do you feel about the MCU where it's going right now with this ever expanding universe? that gets bigger every week. And then DC's approach has been a little bit different. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on on the MCU and, and where DC is right now and and how you're feeling about that. Listen, I am a DC fanboy. I love DC. I can't watch the movies. Um, they're they're <laughs> they're really, you know, I feel like you're you're missing a lot of the souls of the characters and what they're doing. Like Superman, and you look at the original, like Man of Steel. He lets his dad die. You're like, you know, these characters are supposed to be these superheroes and if you're superman you're not gonna let your dad die to prove a point like it's not it just didn't sit well to me they're trying to be something they're not dark and brooding and and this and that and they're so far deep into it that the whole thing is just a mess to me now the only way in my eyes they could like redeem this is they go hey listen they were the crime syndicate all along they're not superman wonder woman but they're actually ultraman and they're all the evil versions of themselves because it just seems like the character's none of them particularly seem likable to me with the exception of maybe wonder woman. Um, and I don't mean to cut you off, but with what you just said right there, do you see them going flashpoint paradox with the flash movie to kind of try and do what you're talking about? Yeah, I think they need to. I think it's, it's hard because they, you look at it honestly and you go, Hey, listen, is this going to be, uh, we need a reset. We need we need a change of direction. Like, sure, Aquaman made a billion dollars. Sure, Wonder Woman has its success, the first one and and whatnot. But listen, it's you need to have content that people are going to gravitate towards, and they have to start thinking about the kids. They have to start thinking about all ages content, not to be so uh, violent and dark and brooding and and 
you know, focus on who the characters are. I feel like they lost a lot of the soul of the characters through these movies. Well, Marvel has hit it directly on. They have the right amount of seriousness. They have the right amount of tone. And, you know, they Marvel has done a phenomenal job. They've. If I was a kid growing up right now, I think we'd all agree that there's no better time to have content in for comic books. Like, it just doesn't exist. These movies have been exactly what any kid would imagine and, and hope for. And every single movie holds up to this day. I don't think there's a single movie where I was like, eh, you know, that one should be erased from from continuity. There's not a single one where, and that's astounding. You look at you look at DC and it's like two out of every three should be erased from continuity. And you look at any, you look at, you know, Tom Cruise and had to try to do it with the mummy, you know, and he said, hey, listen, we're going to have, we're going to take the Universal Monster series and do, do the same thing Marvel's doing. And the first one bombed. And it's not easy to make a good movie, but Marvel has the formula and they do it every single time which is really 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 commendable and that's to me the biggest thing is they've found a formula they work with it and and make it ha- make it happen every single time is it casting that, is, that they get right is it no, I, you know i really feel like it's storytelling i really feel like that's it for me because like, casting you can cast the the same person right two or three different times the, the casting super important too but i think it's storytelling, at least for me, it's the storytelling. It's making sure that the formula works and making sure that you have this uh, this journey following the three act structures that you can go and do with every single Marvel movie. And that's why they're all feel predictable. They all have their humor about them. They all have their seriousness about them and they all work. So, you know, which DC movie to me hits those points that you talked about. And Dave knows exactly which movie I'm going to bring up. I love Shazam so much. Because that movie was fun to watch and was every bit the superhero movie that I felt like a lot of those lighter Marvel flicks were. Like everything you just described that with Zachary Levy all the way through. I love Shazam. Shazam was so much fun. I think they, they did a great job with Shazam. But you're like, it's so hard because you, you were like, oh, great, they're going to bring in this universe and that universe and this character and that character. And I think they're, you know, the... The in the comic books, the crossover, like you said, was so cool. When Spider-Man's gonna be in a comic book, I would like be like, I'm gonna pick that up. The flashes in this issue of, of Superman. Why? Are they racing? Oh, who's gonna win? Like that part of it was so cool. But if you're dealing with crossovers and the other characters don't work, if Superman shows up at the lunch table at the end and you're like, Oh, I don't like Superman, it kind of <laughs> it gives you a different feeling than oh my gosh, it's Captain America. Like it's my 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 friend like you know so i uh i think shazam was fantastic but i think the whole universe needs to be revised and, and fixed yeah i mean and, and patrick knows I'm, I'm like you omar i'm pre- predominantly well i wouldn't say predominantly but you know maybe 55 45 dc versus marvel but i feel the same way you do and and, and i don't want to keep going on but I, i'm just curious about this thought marvel really didn't have anything to compared to iron man was a new ip basic or new property um in for movies at least captain america tried to been done but not really uh batman and superman who are the cornerstones of dc have been done and redone and done iconically you know christopher reeve superman you're not going to top that uh michael keaton's batman or even christian bales lots of stuff to to really fail by comparison do you think that that had something to do with dc's problems Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. I think Christian Bale's Batman was a huge success. It was phenomenal. They did a great job. They asked hard hitting uh, emotional questions, you know, about sanity, about uh, fear, about, you know, you look into 
you know, purpose. And they executed those so perfectly, so perfectly that DC was like, great, more of this. This is what works. People want to see more of this style. But Wonder Woman's not that type of character. Superman's not that type of character. That's Batman. And that worked for that Batman with the right visionary behind it. And it didn't work. It doesn't work for the whole line. It doesn't work for Justice League. Justice League, it should be a ray of hope. But it didn't feel like that. It felt like ragtag group of misfits. And I'm like, no, Justice League is gods coming together to save the world. So, you know, I think for me, I, I, I hope that they're able to just, you know, start anew and, you know, really look forward. The, the, the best part about DC right now is their TV shows have been fantastic and their animation has been bar none. So, so fun to watch. So fun. Every single one has been great. Um, so they're doing a lot right. But in terms of their big scope, I'm worried that in the long run, people are still just there because their kids don't know what's bad and good. Like, They'll watch whatever and go, oh, cool, Batman. But adults are the tastemakers in that re- regard, and it's important to try to get it right. And I think uh, DC has to go back to the drawing board, sadly. Yeah, I love the crime syndicate idea. <laughs> that would be awesome if they pulled that out of their hat. Um, <laughs> hey, Omar, look, I, you know, Patrick, you got anything else? I, I was going to let our friend go here. No, no. I, I'm just so appreciative that you were able to give us a little bit of your time um, for this, uh, for our 100th episode. It's it was so great to be able to pick your brain today to, to just get some, some insight from somebody who knows um, and has been a part of the industry and is just getting started really in the scope of, of your career. Like it, it, there's just nothing but big things for you. And um, I'm honored. And I think Dave is too, that we, we were able to get you on the show and to talk to us today. So thank you very, very much. The honor is all mine guys. And, and congratulations seriously on a hundred episode. That's, that's really something to uh to look forward to and i look forward to getting to a thousand next so uh, <laughs> yeah and omar before we let you go please let people know where can they follow you as far as social media for twitter for any of the projects you've got going on for the the podcast uh please share that with our listeners yeah if people want to check me out on twitter i'm pretty easy i'm at omar spahi you can't miss me um i'm i'm just me on twitter and uh i love interacting with people and and try to you know, stay around comic books and, and focus on their culture stuff. Well, thank you so much, sir. I, we greatly appreciate you being our guest of honor here on episode 100. Wish you nothing but the best safe travels to Europe. And, uh, we will be talking to you very soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Patrick. Great being here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.